Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Holly James, who is a rom com writer who has a new book out this summer called The Deja Glitch. And lately I've been interviewing a lot of authors who have just perfect pitches for their books. And this one is no different. It's basically like a new age version of Groundhog's Day. It is so delightful. It's so wonderful. We get into the book, obviously, but it's basically a 24-hour time loop where one person is trying to get the other to fall in love with them. And we join them in the middle of this process, not at the very start, but it's just... The whole thing is delightful. You're really, really going to love it. And this conversation is all about Holly's passion for science, specifically the science of sleep. Uh, This is something that she does as part of her day job. And I had many, many questions about it because I don't know that I've talked about it much on here, but I am a horrible sleeper. I get it from my mom. If you're listening, thanks so much for that. Uh, I suffer from a lot of different um, struggle to sleep <laughs> maladies or abnormalities or whatever you want to call them. But it was really, really fun to get to pick Holly's brain about her day job and how it connects to her writing career. And again, I really, really think you're going to love this book, The Deja Glitch, which we talk about uh, for a while. I have another book recommendation for you as well, a little bit unrelated this time, but I just finished Silver Nitrate, the new book by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Silvia Moreno-Garcia is very well known for her book, Mexican Gothic. And this story is a little bit different. If you are a fan of classic movies. I think you'll really, really like it. She dives into this magical, mysterious world where there are people who have the power to perform magic and they choose to do so through the lens, quite literally, of old movies. It's really, really interesting. It's really fascinating. It is a a story that I, I don't know that I was exactly expecting it when I went in. I saw that there was a new book available by Silvia Moreno-Garcia and I figured, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. It was really interesting. It was a really, really unique plot. And again, if you're a fan of old Hollywood uh, stories about mysterious magic and uh, witches and warlocks and things like that, this is a really good book to kind of be, as I've been talking about a little bit here, (laughs) a warm-up to spooky season. So that's Silver Nitrate by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Okay, 
That is just about it. I want to give you a little bit more housekeeping. Of course, you can always find me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Passions and Prologues, where I share clips of the episode if you want to check out some of the videos. I also do book recommendations and all sorts of fun stuff all across. You can find me at Passions and Prologues and all those places. You know how to use social media. I'm not going to make you figure out how to find me. I, I believe in you all. I have confidence in you all. Uh, okay, that is all of the housekeeping. I am so excited for you guys to hear this conversation with Holly James, author of The Deja Glitch on Passions and Prologues. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, Holly, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? I am super passionate about all things science. Mm -hmm. I actually am a scientist in my career outside of writing. And I think the more I think about it, I think it kind of subconsciously influences my writing. It's Mm -hmm. never really intentional how I incorporate it into my writing process or anything. But yeah, kind of reflecting on it, I think it does play a big part in who I am as an author. Yeah. So was science the subject that you found yourself drawn to as a kid, like in middle school and everything, or was it kind of late blossoming in your, in your passions? You know, that's a good question. I think it was a later blossom. So I actually, I have a PhD in psychology. So I went, Mm. you know, full bore scientist. Um, And I think I, I really fell in love with that type of science. So like human behavior research, and Mm. I'm I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not a, a therapist or a counselor. I do research studies. I conduct intervention studies actually specifically on sleep currently in my current current day job. Um, but I think I I kind of came into that. I, I remember a distinct moment <laughs> as an undergraduate doing like a homework assignment for a statistical class or something. And I was just pouring over this Excel spreadsheet. And I had this moment of like, I love this. Like I love <laughs> this enough to pursue it in a passionate way. And I know that's a pretty rare um, realization. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think, I think I, I realized how, you know, like how important that was that kind of this profound moment of like, wow, yeah, this is what I want to pursue. This is what I want to do. But up until that, I think in like middle school and high school, I was much more into like arts, like the creative side of, yeah. of life, um, <laughs> language and reading and books and music. I've played music my whole life too. And I don't know. Yeah. I think something just kind of flipped in my brain when I got to, mm-hmm. I, I think it was, I was, I was more exposed to this high advanced level of scientific research and methodology and statistics that I was like, all right, this is what I really enjoy. Yeah. So I'm going to bounce around just a little bit because go for it. I, as a person who is both in therapy and it's the best thing I've ever done for myself, <laughs> but also have horrible sleep patterns and I'm, <laughs> I'm a terrible, terrible sleeper. So I'm curious, like the sleep, what is the aspects of sleep that you're, you're currently studying this I'm just going to preface this may be interesting to me and me alone but I don't care it's my <laughs> so I'm going to ask like what are you what are you currently studying so no sleep 
sleep struggles are very, very common. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I currently work for a, um, a sleep cra- sleep tracking company. Um, that's our general platform. But I, it's funny to talk about this in detail because I usually like keep my career separate. Oh yeah, no, we <laughs> so don't have fun, to go in detail. I'm sorry. No, it's no, just no, no. It's, it's just interesting. It's just interesting to have you be interested in it because I'm usually <laughs> talking about books. But um, yeah, so I work for a company where we test like non-pharmacological sleep interventions. So like behavioral and environmental, like bedroom environment, anything from like bedding to, you know, lighting to even like aromatherapy kind of fragrance stuff yeah. to behavioral interventions like CBTI, cognitive behavioral therapy um, for insomnia specifically, mm-hmm. things like that to test if these different kind of consumer products can improve people's sleep. And we specifically look at populations of people who are not diagnosed with a clinical sleep disorder. So there's this huge, huge portion of the population that is like sub-threshold clinical disorder where they do struggle to sleep, but they're not kind of over the edge of needing a medical intervention or, you know, some kind of more rigorous intervention where these more behavioral or environmental changes can actually improve their sleep. So I spend all day um, leading a team that conducts remote research studies on those kinds of interventions. So we test people in their homes, basically. I don't, I don't work in a sleep lab, um, (laughs) remote sleep lab. Yeah, no, this honestly, like to me, it's, it is super fascinating again, as a person who like, I, I don't know how much I've ever talked about it on here, but like, I, I do suffer from like night terrors and like very, very infrequent, but like sleep paralysis and just like not fun stuff to, to go through, but like, but it's something where I have tried, you know, like the like nasal breathing and I've admittedly tried like CBD and like trying to do just different types of like meditation before and nothing so far has worked for me, but it is something I have become much more interested in for obvious reasons in my own life. Yeah, it's usually a combination of things that works best for people. There's no, I mean, sleep is so dynamic and multifaceted that there's unfortunately not one like silver bullet that fixes everything. You know, mm-hmm. it's it might take you a long time to fall asleep or you might wake up multiple times during the night or you, I don't know, sleep too long. That actually is a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> where you don't sleep long enough or, yeah. yeah um, so it's it's hard to pin down like what the one thing is that that could that could resolve all your issues. But we have found, pretty commonly it's a combination of of bedroom environment and even like temperature and you know winding down properly for before bed and limiting yeah. your screen time and you know all those things we uh-huh. know that we're supposed to do that we don't we all necessarily struggle, we all struggle do. to do yes yeah. yes <laughs> okay well at the risk of this becoming dangerously close to me like just flat out ask good advice for myself I'll slightly <laughs> adjust my line of questioning so was this something because I I totally understand like like for me, my my day job is I, I do marketing and I love storytelling. I love writing all these different things. And I'm currently marketing a, a sales company and, and I like it, but it's not like I didn't go to school and like graduate school and be like, I one day want to write about business and sales development. Like it just was a great opportunity and it's a wonderful job, but I never like envisioned it. So when you were, when you kind of had that aha moment, you're like, oh my God, I really love this like research aspect of science, you know, were there specific areas like you were drawn to? Like, is sleep something you've always been interested in? Or is that just kind of like currently, like, what was a good opportunity for you? And I guess, like, what aspects of science and that research and like the human experience and human behavior drew you towards it? Yeah, I, so I kind of stumbled into sleep. I didn't study sleep in my graduate training. So I know actual, you know, neuroscientists who studied sleep and circadian rhythms and are extreme experts in that area. And I'm, I just like have scratched the surface of that just by necessity for my profession. So I wouldn't call myself an expert in that by any means, but my expertise is more in research methodology and design and like statistics. So 
I learned quickly when you're transitioning from an academic world into an industry career, that is the skill set that industry wants to basically buy <laughs> from you. Yeah. They want someone who knows how to do research and do their statistics and do all of that. So that wasn't that also wasn't specifically what I studied in graduate school. I actually studied stress physiology. So mm-hmm. My degree is in health psychology, and I looked at acute stress responses like the flight or fight response and salivary cortisol. I did very gross, squishy laboratory research with (laughs) with literal spit samples for years and years. So yeah, I basically took, I, I was always interested in kind of the intersection of health behaviors and technology and how Mm -hmm. technology could be leveraged to improve health and, you know, conduct health interventions. And when I was in grad school, I was studying acute stress physiology in the context of social media use. <laughs> so I was, uh, yeah, I was, this was back in like, you know, 2014 to 17 was the, mm-hmm. the prime of when I was doing that. And I kind of look nowadays, I look at, you know, all these studies that have since come out and even like documentaries, like what was the one on Netflix, the, the social dilemma. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And I'm just like, told you so. <laughs> I mm-hmm. told you this years ago. Cause that's what my research was on. It was how, you know, this impact of this kind of acute impact of social media exposure and use on stress physiology, but also just on your emotions and your cognitions. Um, Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm wildly off topic of your question, but (laughs) no, honestly, this is, this is great. I, so my job before the one that I work for now, I worked for a tech company where I had to write and market to developers. And one of my favorite coworkers was actually, she was a behavioral scientist. She basically like explored the psychology and the sociology of like how developers work together and all of these, like it kind of to a smaller scope of what you were just talking about, like, but specific to developers, like how to improve the overall developer experience and from both as an individual and as a team and like all of these different things. So I, I promise you like this, I am a nerd for this stuff too. Like tangentially, <laughs> like I knew enough where I would ask her questions about the experience. And I'd be like, can you tell me the science behind X, Y, and Z? And she'd be like, oh my God, totally. So I I will steer us back towards writing because you said before we started recording, you said that you think that your passion for science, there is, it's sort of like, is the underlying aspect of your, your writing as well. So kind of how do, how do the two tie together for you? Yeah, I think, so what I mentioned earlier, when I, through my education up until I became more engaged in science um, as an undergraduate than a graduate student, I was really into like language arts and writing and reading and music and things. And I think then when I got into that really heavily analytical and logic centered other side of things um, in my scientific career, I mm-hmm. think part of my brain was still really craving that creative outlet. So I've, I've always dabbled in creative writing you know, even as like a teenager and younger, I would write little short stories and poetry and stuff. And mm-hmm. then I, in graduate school, I think to help myself deal with the stress and pressure of that, I went back to creative writing and I just started spilling stuff onto the page and seeing where it went, see what would happen. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think I didn't write anything like novel links until mm, like 2016, maybe. And eh, maybe it was a little sooner than that. But again, I was just you know, kind of seeing what would happen. I didn't really know what I was doing. And then I got brave enough to like seek feedback on it <laughs> Yeah, and um, was told like, hey, you're kind of good at this, you know? So then I started looking into pursuing traditional publishing and what breaking into the industry would entail. And wow, the learning curve on that, it's breaking it's, into it's publishing, is, it's a doozy for sure. Yeah, getting into that. So I actually, 
I, uh, I queried for three years before I found my current literary agent. And she actually signed me as a thriller writer. So before I ventured into kind of women's fiction rom-com, I was writing thrillers. because That's my favorite genre to read. And it just mm-hmm. kind of made sense that, that 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 would be what I would write. And my first book didn't sell. And then the pandemic hit and I went kind of stir crazy. And I wanted to write something much lighter and fluffier and happier yeah. than a dark murder mystery. So I did. And that became my debut novel, Nothing But The Truth, that came out in 2022, last year. Yeah. So from there, I've kind of transitioned into this rom-com career path, which I love and is just joyous and so fun to to be so engaged in that world. But yeah, I think looking back on it all, I think I really was craving a creative outlet when mm-hmm. I was going through this really intense, rigorous scientific training program. Like that whole part of my brain was like, I'm dying. <laughs> Come yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I did. Um, and now I have these kind of like split brain dual careers where I'm, you know, spending nine to five doing really intense <laughs> scientific research and then spending five to midnight uh-huh. <laughs> writing love stories. So uh-huh. yeah, it's, I never thought I'd be here, but I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled to be here. It's, it's so cool. And it's, it's sometimes hard to balance just in terms of like bandwidth and energy and hours in the day. But in terms of like being content with, with both parts of it, I like, I, I love it. I couldn't mm-hmm. c- create a more perfect scenario for the type of, the type of stimulation that I crave and enjoy like both both things just fuel it so much and it's yeah it's happy chaos (laughs) yeah so first thing as a as a person who's currently querying as well and has been for a while you say like the three years thing actually kind of makes me feel better in a way because oh no it's so hard (laughs) it's such a process it's so hard like it it could be you know you, you just need to catch like the right literation on the right day in the yep. right mood, like, yep. And it's so, it is so just like, you know, you get all those emails where they're like, not for me, you have great writing, but no, yes. it's like, yes. So, um, those are the like the glowing rejections where like, yeah, this is amazing. I love this. And then, <laughs> yeah. but no, <laughs> thanks so much. That hurts somehow more, but um, <laughs> yes. I'm curious how, cause like you said, you, you love reading thrillers and like, I, I know what you mean about like when there's a, a genre that you kind of hold very close to your heart but how did you kind of go from that to, uh, you know, to writing, like you said, like women's fiction, rom-com? Because like I, I love the, I write, the, the, the manuscript I wrote is like speculative fiction, magical realism. I love reading horror. I could not write a horror novel. Like personally, I just know <laughs> I couldn't. But I'm curious, you know, how you decided like, okay, I'm going to shift genres and, and give it a try from a, a different angle. That's a great question. And I think, so (laughs) I joke, maybe it's not a joke, but my toxic trait as an author is I'll write something and send it to my agent and be like, I don't know what genre this is. Like, good luck. Um, And she's, she's sold five books for me. So, I mean, she's amazing at at figuring it out and pinpointing it. But I think that transition transition for me really came in 2020 during like the peak lockdown of kind of everyone having this collective insanity. Um, Yeah. And I, so my first book, Nothing But The Truth is very, it's pitched as like a feminist liar, liar. Mm -hmm. So it's about, you know, the movie with Jim Carrey from the nineties. It's about this woman, she's a Hollywood publicist and she wakes up on her 30th birthday after drinking a magical cocktail the night before. Mm -hmm. And she can't lie. She can't lie to herself or to anyone or, and you know, it, it trails her whole day of, of, the kind of problems that causes and all these realizations she has has and she kind of you know revolutionizes her life and the idea for that really came to me um 
in the peak of the lockdown where I remember I was like laying on my bed one day, staring at the ceiling, thinking about just how strange everything had become, Mm -hmm. but also how much had shifted in terms of these expectations put on women in particular for having to basically like put on a costume to go to the office, you know, to like hair and makeup and outfits. And I was, and then I started thinking like, why did we even do that in Mm -hmm. the first place? You know, like, where does that expectation come from? And that was the seed for that story. And then it just spiraled into this whole lightly magical comedic, ridiculous fun yeah. day in Hollywood. And I, so I didn't really intend to write something like that. It just, mm-hmm. it was what was making me happy in that yeah. moment. And I, I guess I was craving, you know, something lighter and, and funnier than what I was normally reading mm-hmm. or writing. And I mean, it's the one that landed me a book deal. So yeah, <laughs> so I will take it back. I'm happy. seemed to be the right choice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. It worked out, worked out for sure. And then, and then so I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. From there. So that was a, that was a one book deal. And then the follow-up, I remember going back and forth with my agent with a couple ideas, like trying to figure out that since it was a one book deal, it, I didn't have to like write another book in the same genre. I could Mm -hmm. basically do, you know, whatever. And I wasn't super sure I wanted to write romance because I didn't think that I like could, I don't know. (laughs) I I wasn't, I mean, I'm, now I am, but before now I wasn't like a huge romance reader, you know, and Mm -hmm. I know the readers that fan base is just so dedicated and like, they love their tropes and they, you know, they, are so just yeah wonderfully intense about everything. I was like, oh, I don't want to let him down. So I was a little intimidated to actually take on romance. So I would say the Deja Glitch is, it is a rom-com, but it's still kind of on the more like magical personal journey side, not yeah. super, super focused on the couple and their relationship, although it is. Um, but I think it's, I think my third book is like full on romance. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like progressively getting closer and closer. Uh-huh. To the, the full genre. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to I ask about The Deja Glitch, which is the, your newest book. And for people who, who don't know, it's like a 24-hour kind of time loop story. It's, I love, honestly, like the blurb on the front by Jody Pico is like, it's like a perfect description. It's like, good love actually. I know, and John I like died. Day. It's like perfect, <laughs> but but it is. It's like a 24-hour kind of time loop story. And first off, I love it. That is, that is in no way encapsulating the whole story, but I want to ask like, what was it about time loops that made you say like, Ooh, this could be an interesting way to tell a story. <laughs> Another great question. Yeah. So the, the kind of, I guess, path into this one, again, I, di- I didn't intend for it to be a time loop story. That wasn't mm. my original idea. So I usually, whenever I write something, I get an idea for like the big like hook, like the you know broad overarching hook of the story. And in this case, I really wanted to write a story around a couple where one person couldn't remember the other person in a comedic way. I just thought that would be kind of funny to, (laughs) to explore, you know, like the love of your life came up to you and it was like, it's me, you know me. And you had no idea who they were, like what would happen? How would that play out? And so I I had that idea kind of floating around in my head for a while. And then this, so I actually drafted this book in the summer of 2021. Um, So it's two years ago now. Wow. I remember I was trying to figure out how to execute that idea. Like how could I, you know, write a full story around that? And at that time, Olivia Rodrigo's song Deja Vu was uh-huh. all over the radio. And I remember hearing it and like singing along to it one day. And I truly had this like aha moment of like, oh, Deja Vu is the perfect avenue into this, this story. So I started thinking, you know, this the character who couldn't remember anything was feeling like things were familiar, but she didn't really know why. She mm-hmm. couldn't explain why she recognized this guy or why she had certain memories, like fuzzy memories playing out throughout the day. Um and then the time loop entered entered the equation when I thought maybe she has the sense of deja, deja vu because she's been here before. She's lived through it before, but can't fully remember it. Mm-hmm. And time loops, you know, it's a really popular 
kind of trope convention and I wanted to do something different with it. So yeah. in, in this story, we actually only see a single day of the loop and we see it from the perspective of the person who doesn't know that they're in a time loop. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't want to have to go through the repetition of the day over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So by the time we, as the reader intersect the story, they've been in the time loop for five months, but to the main character, it feels like it's the first day that all yeah. of this has happened to her. Well, and I loved that you chose the person who has not, been in the time loop because I do feel like when you see the time loop stories, obviously Groundhog Day, and then there there was a movie that came out a couple years ago with like Andy Samberg that there is a time loop. I can't remember yeah. the name of that. Palm uh, Springs, yeah, Palm Springs, yeah, which I really, yeah. really liked. Um, but I feel like you're so, so often we're shown as the viewer or the reader or the person ingesting the content, like like you said, it is that repetitive, like oh look, Bill Murray's living this day ten thousand years in a row, whatever it is, and. And it it has to be a really unique way to say like, okay, let's all, it has to be very funny or interesting that you're going to see the same things over and over again, yeah. or you're going to lose people's interest. You know, so I do think it is such a unique way to be like, no, no, we're going to go from it from the person who's like, has no idea. And so I, I think it's like this really fun thing where as the reader, you might know what to expect and like being able to look at it through a person's eyes who has no idea what's coming and like seeing how the day changes from kind of like from loop to loops. Like for you, how did you go about saying like, okay, how do I get her from like, this has been happening for months to how do we resolve the issue? Like obviously without giving away the ending, but you know, how did you decide like how to make incremental quote unquote improvements every single time? Yeah, it was tricky. It was tricky to, it was tricky from a pacing perspective Mm -hmm. to, you know, because I, I I don't know, I have a thing for stories that take place in one day. My first book is like that too. I just, I, I love those kind of stories. I love watching and reading them and I love creating them. I don't, I don't really know why. <laughs> I just do. I just feel, I don't know, the, the immediacy kind of an urgency created by yeah. this all has to happen in a certain amount of time is just really exciting to me. So to fit everything into a single day that needed to happen was a challenge, but mm-hmm. also making it like not too much. I think we cut like one scene um, yeah. because it was just, it was just too much running around too busy, but I did. Yeah. I had to keep careful track of, because it's told from her perspective and it's the first time she's experienced this, but it has also happened many, many times before I had to keep really careful track of like, what might she already know? And mm. what does, what does he know? You know, he knows everything and you know, he's, he's been through this before. And when things changed, how would they react to the change? And, you know, would they, you know, to her, it, feels like it's the first time, but he's like, oh, this is different. Something is, has changed here and here's why. And I also really wanted to touch on kind of all aspects of their lives. So mm-hmm. if you've if you've read the book, you know that it, it's not just like their love story. It's about yeah. her professional career and her family relationships and her friendships. And she kind of has barriers in all these different places. And I think that really played into this notion that they're stuck. You know, they're mm-hmm. stuck in this loop. They're physically stuck, but they're also metaphorically stuck in so many different ways. And doing that allowed me to have all these different scenes that touched on these different aspects of their lives that kind of carried them through the day. And this, you know, the the thread through the whole thing is that they're moving past these barriers, but they're all different kinds of barriers. And mm-hmm. yeah, this is a very like non-spoilery explanation to answer yeah. your question. <laughs> no, yeah, we're like dancing around. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, sure. don't want to give I don't want to give stuff away. But I so something I am really interested in is as I when I speak to authors who have you know like you mentioned like when you write your first novel people who may not be aware like like you said you're you write it and you don't 
have an agent at the time. You don't have an editor. You don't have deadlines. And you can kind of make whatever you want. Like you said, like you didn't know if you were writing a romance novel or whatever. You were just like, you wanted to write a story. And then you become known for something. And now you've written a second kind of book in this. And you said like your third one is, a, is more even romance. Like, do you feel, pressure is the wrong word, but like, do you feel inclined to understand like, okay, well, I'm going to need to write a romance and I, and I want to give it like a marketable kind of hook or something. Like, do you feel that pressure as you're pitching more and more stories and then putting things together? Yeah, for sure. It's like you said, like your first book is really just for yourself. You know, mm -hmm. there's no, there's no outside pressure on it at all. But once you have sold one or multiple books and you have a team, your publishing team working with you, it's, it's, that's one of the biggest challenges to kind of like detach from the business side of it, because mm -hmm. always, always in the back of my head now is like sales, you know, is this going to sell? Is it going to yeah. sell enough for my publisher to offer on my next book? Is this the end of my career? Do I have to like <laughs> change to a different pen name? You know, it's all these things that are really out of your control, but also dictate your career. And it's, yeah. that is a really kind of big emotional struggle that I think is not talked about that much in publishing. Yeah. Like people just kind of I don't know, pretend it doesn't exist, but mm -hmm. I've talked to other writers that I'm really close to. And it's, that is very normal to feel the pressure of like, what's going to happen next, you know? And, and mm -hmm. you just have, it's just so much is out of the author's control. But all that being said, I do, I keep my readers in mind in the sense that like, I know I've, I've come to learn like what they really like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the scenes that they like, you know, squeal and kick their feet at those, those, those are the ones that I want to keep in my books. Cause as a reader myself, you know, I think of the things that just make me, that just bring me so much joy and make me feel like I could like explode with happiness. That's what I try to create. Cause that's what people come to the genre for, you know, mm -hmm. they want, they want that feeling of joy and that just, you know, emotion of, of <laughs> happiness out of these books. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a hard, not kind of, it's a very hard <laughs> line to walk and you yeah. know, satisfying your audience, but also writing something marketable and staying true to yourself as an author. You know, you don't yeah. want to write something you hate because then you're stuck promoting it for years. <laughs> yeah. It's a wild industry. It's yeah. yeah. I was, I was definitely, when I was querying, that's a whole different set of emotions and struggles. But then once you are agented and have book deals, it's a whole other set of challenges, um, emotional challenges that I wasn't prepared for. I just, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to create something you love so much and then just kind of like let it go out into mm -hmm. the world and, yeah. and hope good things happen to it. Yeah. It's, it's so, it, it's, it, yeah. So one more question just about all this. It, you mentioned the beginning, like you started doing the creative writing cause you had that like itch to like be creative and kind of fill that like void of a thing that you really did miss. Now it's become like, like a second career. Like, does it still feel, I'm assuming yes, but like, does it still feel like satisfying and does it kind of like re-energize you to do your day job? Because like you said, time, like the time restraints is obviously a very real thing as a, a working author and a person working full time. Like, does it still feel like recharging to you? Absolutely. I think I've learned now that I'm several years into the the whole publishing experience, I've learned to find the components of it that really truly bring me joy and mm -hmm. like cling on to those. Um, and for me, that's drafting. Like I love drafting mm -hmm. a new story. I, I love it. I mean, I tolerate revisions because I have to, but <laughs> <laughs> drafting, like it's, I, I'm in this like 
complete flow state and you know everything is just wonderful and amazing so that's what i i really take joy in that and i try to be really really present for that mm-hmm. and not and not think about you know is my editor not going to like this is my publisher going to reject this yeah. is it going to flop and you know and i do think that the balance of of having that time to be creative is really kind of stabilized by like my day job by doing, Mm -hmm. you know, all this other really heavily analytical stuff. And I really think that one would suffer without the other. Mm. I get asked all the time, like, like, would you quit your day job? And, and I don't know. I don't, I mean, if I could, you know, financially, I mean, that'd be hard to say no to if I could financially, but (laughs) currently I can't, but I do think if I, you know, was only doing my day job, I would feel like something was missing. And if I was only doing writing, I would feel like something was missing. So I'm currently able to still do both. And it can be, a roller coaster on any given day because publishing is so unpredictable. Like you can mm-hmm. get, you know, a life changing email. At, I'm in California, so I get emails starting at like six a.m. because everyone's oh, yeah. in New York. Um, but you know, I've been in like bed before and got an email that's like amazing news, and you mm-hmm. know, I like shout. My poor husband's like, "Oh, what's happening?" But <laughs> um, um, you know, those are good days. But then you yeah. can also have a really bummer of a day, and then you have to walk straight into a work meeting, and it's it's a lot to kind of keep in the air at the same time. But I, I have, I think I've learned, I've gotten a little better at kind of compartmentalizing one career versus the other when I have to do them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one thing I've, you know, I don't have a lot of great advice on how to do all of this, but I think something I've learned is just to be aware, Mm -hmm. to be aware that this is challenging and you will have a lot of up and down emotions. And, and of course, you know, this is coming from my psychology training. I'm like (laughs) trying to be everyone's therapist here, but that's what I've learned has, has worked for me, you know, yeah. just an, an awareness of like, yeah, it's normal to feel pretty sad about this or very happy about this. And they will, mm-hmm. they will balance out and the feelings will pass. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is so fascinating to me. Okay. Because you're working <laughs> two, two different jobs, I don't want to keep you for much longer. I have one last question. I always end by having the author who's come on, give a recommendation of any kind. It can be a book. It could be a TV show. It could be a movie. It could be a recipe, just something you want to recommend that you think more people should know about. Oh gosh, more people should know about. Well, I mean, the first thing that jumped to my mind is the movie adaptation of Red, White, and Royal Blue came out today slash mm-hmm. last night. I've already watched it. It's incredible. But I think a lot, I think a lot of people already know about that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so popular. But no, that was oh, it was 10 out of 10 for me. Perfect adaptation. <laughs> um, otherwise, oh, I don't know. What's a book that you've loved this year that it can, it can be relatively popular? Oh. What's something you've, you've loved this year? That's a hard question too. There are so many. Yeah. I recently read, I still read a lot darker than I write. I love thrillers. I love yeah dark genre. Um, But I recently read Megan Collins' new thriller slash suspense. It's called um, Thicker Than Water. Mm-hmm. That one was really, really good. It's about these two, these sisters-in-law who are also best friends and the man they have in common. So one of their husbands and the other one's brother mm-hmm. is accused of murder. And it's of a very like, violent, creepy murder. And it's just this this whole story of how their relationship, these two women have to navigate that scenario and who do they trust and everything falls apart. And it's, it's really good. Megan's an amazing writer. So yeah, I definitely recommend that one. Yeah, that sounds perfect. I'm impressed you have time to uh, to read with everything else that you're doing. <laughs> I wish I had more time. My power of books is ever growing. Yeah, Approaching that's... dangerous heights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, Holly, the, the day jack glitch is, is so much fun. It's so delightful. And like I told you before I started recording, I was so excited to get to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. 
Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.